for me having had the chance to see all the other stuff out there, whether it's mass participation events like the Iceman, you know, you walk away from that and you're like, there's a whole lot of crazy people riding in this cold, cold <laughs> winter day. <laughs> but at the same time, you're like, they, they get it. They never showed up here to, you know, to win the world championship or anything. They're just proving something to themselves and pushing those personal limits. And I think that's what cycling's all about for me. I just continue to push my personal limits. And when that desire, uh, when that fire ends, then it's just going to be time to do something, something different. But for now, it's, it's, it's really what I enjoy. From KOM Cycling and Michigan Midpack Media, welcome to the Dirty Chain Podcast, the podcast that covers the cycling scene from the viewpoint of the Michigan Midpack. I'm your host, Trevor. And this is Sheldon. Sheldon, together again. Oh, we are sitting at the same table. Mics in between us, beers in hand. I mean... Did you ever think this I, day would come? I, I, I kind of want to cry, but I'm so dehydrated from our ride today. I don't <laughs> think I can get any tears out, but oh, this this just feels amazing. We are sitting on Trevor's patio outside. A little open air studio situation. Things aren't exactly the same. I don't think we're comfortable with starting to uh, be back in the basement, but uh, you know, we made a few adjustments and we're, we're sanitizing with alcohol. Yes, yeah, plenty of alcohol to make sure that we are sanitized correctly, <laughs> um, inside and out. <laughs> but, but yes, I mean, it's uh, you know, things are kind of um, things are opening up a little bit, but but it gives us the opportunity to safely be here and talk face-to-face instead of on Zoom, which, you know... Oh, I Zoom started was, to dread it. Zoom was fine, and it got the job done, but it is so much better to see you and your weird mohawk... Yes. ...in the flesh. <laughs> <laughs> and, yep. and honestly, this is a celebration. I feel like we are celebrating, and what a better reason to celebrate than to have a fantastic conversation with the incredible... Katarina Nash. Oh my goodness. We have been waiting to talk with Katarina Nash since well Ice, since, since Iceman. A, yeah. I mean that we reached out to her it was at around the same time that we yes. reached out to Alexi Vermeulen. It, it was no- November, December, mm-hmm. uh, late November, I think it was. And she was doing worlds for cyclocross. Yep. And she was kind enough to message us back. From, and she was like, I'm in Europe, Europe uh, yep. kind of busy right now, but I would love to be on. And it kind of got put on the back burner. And then when covid happened and suddenly we weren't able to have guests around it just i was like well let's message her again we message her and boom let's do this katarina is amazing i mean what else can we say i mean she is uh not only an amazing cyclist she's an olympian we we figured out summer and winter we um (laughs) figured out that she is the first olympian that the dirty chain has ever talked to which is which is amazing um but yeah Cross-country skier, mountain biker, um, cyclist, of course. Uh, uh, multiple Iceman 
uh, first place. Yep, um, cyclocross. But uh, but yeah, what a great conversation with her, and uh, what a way to usher us usher back in to a little bit of normalcy. Absolutely, and and Sheldon, another thing, um, you know, as things are kind of getting more and more normal, racing is back. Yeah, uh, Mohican just happened. Mohican yeah. 100. Yeah, and we um, we just saw like a couple couple weekends ago or a, a weekend ago that uh, the Mohican 100 actually occurred. It was probably one of the first the cycling first. race. Well, cycling race since um, the Mid South Landrun. Yeah, and uh, since then, of course, nothing has happened. And then last weekend we had. Mohican 100, um, which was a little different because, of course, because of the details needed to change a little bit. Um, but to get a little more um, info about this race and a few more of the details, we reached out to Alex Tenelshaw, fifth place overall at Mohican 100. But not only that, I think the story of Mohican 100 is not uh, only that it's one of the first races, but the fact that three of the top five were Michigan representatives. We had Jordan Wakeley, Alex Tenelshoff, and Scott Arbaugh. Yep. And, I mean, so in fourth place, Tinker Juarez, who I think should be an honorary Michigander because he spends so much of his race season here in Michigan doing some of the most epic events here that we have. So I think uh, I think we can safely say that there's four Michiganders. Sure, we'll call him a Michigander. I'm not sure if he would appreciate that, <laughs> but we'll we'll accept him. <laughs> but no, let's get more details uh, about the Mohican 100 from Alex Tenelshoff. Well, first of all, Alex, thank you for being on the podcast and. I have to say, man, congrats on one hell of a race. Yeah, thank you. I was, uh, I'm excited to give you the recap because it was a pretty exciting race to be in, especially with the the company I was in. Yeah, definitely. Um, before we hear more about the specifics of the actual race, can we get just a few details about how logistically the race actually went on. Um, I know because there hasn't been any racing lately and because this has been one of the first races of the season, maybe even the first mountain bike race of the season. I'm not even sure about that. But uh, um, I know they had to do some last-minute changes. So we just quickly explain some of the, the things that, that were changed so the race could occur. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's one of the first races obviously the the out west the that uh tour in phoenix went down this year and then right. mid-south gravel went yep. down but yeah i think this this is the first one like in the midwest so um so basically yeah they did a great job on giving you the plan and emailing you and keeping you up to date and um and i i think they've gotten some good press for how they did things and now that it's over and um but basically when you get there they did drive up packet pickup um, so they just, yeah, they hand you your packet through the window and then, um, that's really it for as far as the race goes for that part. And then, so the day of you, we would start in groups and it was 
we had it broken out into about six people per group and and it would go off every minute and they did it where they seated it based on like your finishing time within the last three years so anyone that has done it in the last three years sort of like kind of how iceman does sure you you get the preference um and then if you're a known like pro mountain biker or i think they threw in like the cat one road guys because i had asked if i could start you know in the more competitive field mm-hmm. and so they they kind of grouped me into that and so that's how my wave kind of came to be um and they you know they they say let's start you under social distancing kind of guidelines six feet apart so the six of us kind of six feet apart but it's you know as soon as the gun goes off we're going to be on each other's wheel within 10 10 seconds of so course. <laughs> but at, but at least they tried and so yeah so that's how it started and then um it was interesting because there's there's no police so the whole race we had to cross some semi-busy roads um and we just as a group had to just like you would in a group ride all right look both ways clear let's go and it's very civil from that standpoint okay and you know where safety was more important than racing uh, it's four and a half hour race so i don't think getting across the street is going to make or break the race. But so, yeah, that was interesting. There's no like advertised like EMS or like emergency services mm-hmm. there because they all decided they didn't want to be a part of that. But they had some kind of um, off the books or whatever doctors or EMTs that were there sure. um, just in case. And they were at each aid station as well. Um, and then the aid stations was all prepackaged food. So you had like sour patch kids or Reese's, uh, bananas that weren't peeled. They were fully together. Um, like Cokes weren't opened yet. So it was all on you to grab what you wanted. And, um, it was all like self-serve type stuff, which was good. Mm -hmm. And, uh, not a ton of volunteers at each, each station either, just enough to, help out or if you had an issue i think they had uh bike mechanics at each one as well in case you needed help there and some stands and some like chain lube if you needed that real quick um so yeah very uh minimal from a volunteer standpoint this year what about Um, uh like the the finish and the post ride i mean i'm assuming there wasn't like a big party celebration afterward or was there anything like that yeah so you so you finish and then yeah people i mean did a good job of social distancing i think that the can't remember if it was like the local state health representatives were there or the police were kind of there too just making sure that they were doing it right so we were you know trying to make them look good sure they did uh i don't know if you saw that podium picture they put Mm -hmm. the podium like six feet apart which was it it was kind of funny but you know good for them for doing that and Mm then um yeah, no real party afterwards. We just did a, they had awards at one, uh, like a hour or so after the race, um, like the top guys finished and everyone was kind of very spread out for that. And there, there was a, there was like the local brewery had two options and you got a growler that they filled up for you. But other than that, yeah, no food, no real like party or anything like that. Um, but the over so the overall vibe of the event did it still feel like you were racing and in an event and kind of felt like the old days ish? Yeah, no the the 
the stoke level was very high because everyone that was there was so ready to race because oh, yeah. i'm sure they had several races canceled so uh everyone was just so happy to be there it, the only thing missing was the the mass start but i honestly looking at the times i think it would have came down to the same you know four or mm-hmm. five people really anyways in a group after the first couple climbs so it you know i i like the races where there's a lot of people and but i think for this race it really for who showed up it would have came down to the same group anyways so it fully felt like a race um good even though even though most of the guys in the race i know and you know race regularly in michigan it it still was definitely the race feel well yeah i mean there was definitely a great michigan representation in the the top five uh, for sure. Let's let's get into it a little bit. Let's talk about the race itself. And uh, so, uh, Mohican 100, um, which was actually 100k this year, correct, or something around that. Yeah. So they they said they only took out like 20, 25 miles of mostly the the state land single track. Um, so we were all expecting roughly 75 to 80 miles. Okay. And then it, it ended up being only 65 for us. And it was like 30 for the hundred K guys, which they were kind of disappointed about. It's not most, everyone should have just done the hundred and they would have got their full 60 miles. And cause we, we came back into the park and we were at like 64 miles and we all looked at each other and we're like, is this, should we attack or do we go back out for 10 more miles or we, we weren't quite sure. And so, yeah, it ended up being a lot shorter than we thought, but I think we were all happy to be done to be honest. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, and uh, so this is, what part of Ohio is, I mean, it's in the Mohican, is it a state yeah. park or national park? Yeah, yeah, Mohican State Park, it's in Ludenville, Ohio, which is about an hour north of Columbus. Okay, and you have, it's pretty rolling, right? You got some good climbs and, and hills for sure. Yeah, so in the, in the 65 miles, I had 7,000 feet, but they it all comes at once. It seems like it's, it's not necessarily rolling as much as it is just a huge hill in the middle of this, in the middle of nowhere, you'd be going down on a flat and see this farm and you have the the left turn coming up and then it's just this massive hill. And you're like, Oh, we're, we're going all the way up there. And it's, <laughs> I mean, we're talking, we're talking 10 to 20% grades on most of these climbs Oh goodness. in, on gravel just just straight up in the middle of nowhere it's it's crazy the single track was hard too because you don't have as much room to go anywhere and it was muddy it had rained the night before so it was just muddy single track like seven eight percent climbs so you're in your biggest gear trying not and you you know as soon as that tire slips you're done you're off the bike running up it and so they were they were challenging um i think our group only ran or walked up two climbs and it was because they were kind of ruddy and you, you can you just can't get up those ruddy uh climbs your back tire hits it and slides immediately what kind of um just general percentage of <clears throat> like gravel roads versus um single track do you think there is for this so there was a good bit of pavement too so i'll break okay. it up into three three different because there was a rail trail that we hit for about eight miles straight which you know, me being more of the road bike guy, I was totally happy with it. Yeah. But, um, 
So I'd say single track was probably about 15%. Okay. There, there wasn't a ton. We did hit some and it was super technical, these rock gardens and it was slick too. So that was, it was fun and tough at the same time. I'd say the gravel was the majority of it. Uh, we're at, 15% there, then gravel was probably 75%. And then another, yeah, like 10%, maybe 10% single track and 20% road. And then the rest was gravel. Okay. How many, so you were in a group of six guys or five guys from the very beginning? So five, so only five guys showed up. So we started with five when one was actually in the 100K. Okay. And so we, we started off at, kind of getting out of the park and then hit the roads and then eventually got to some of the big climbs right off the bat. And we lost him pretty early. Um, I remember Scotty showing me his uh, computer and the power that we were at in the first <laughs> few miles. And I remember my heart rate was, oh, it was like a 165 average heart rate in the beginning because of these, these climbs. And we were pushing the, I mean, Jordan was pushing the pace early on, I would say. Sure. And, um, so yeah, the beginning was tough. And then I think we finally all were like, all right, these, we're not going to break each other. Let's work together. And so it was from uh, there. So we, so in the beginning, it was in your group, it was y yourself, Jordan Wakely, Scotty Alba and, um, and Tinker, <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and did you guys basically stick together the majority of the time? Yeah, I'd say the majority. So we did we did come apart mostly in the single track, but not by a not by a lot. Um, you know, like I would I would hit a bad line on the rocks. I'm just not a technical mountain biker. Um, so I would even be leading going into it, and I'd see it single track. And honestly, I just let the guys go in front of me because I just didn't want to screw them up. Or, sure. Um, and more towards the end, I was like, man, I'm getting dropped hard on the single track. So then I started to lead through the single track. So I was like, let me lead the pace so that I don't get dropped. We're so <laughs> close to the finish. So, yeah. um, but thankfully the, the end single track was easier than the beginning, but cause those rock gardens, I was, I was just not expecting them. Um, but, uh, so Jordan and Scotty got through the first main section of the rock garden stuff before we came up to the aid station, the first one, or actually it'd be the second. We didn't stop at the first. It was 10 miles in and they were ahead. Tinker was by himself. And then I was, I was in fourth by myself, but they were so close. And, um, we had talked about stopping at aid stations to get like our, uh, we had drop bags at each one with like new bottles. Um, and so they were, they were just kind of rolling out as I was rolling into the aid station and I just grabbed my bottle super quick and then I didn't grab any food and I got right back on their wheel. And so the four of us went back out nice. again together. Um, so that was the close, that was almost going to be a long day for me because of the single track, but got back on and then it was a, there was another section of single track and we got spaced out just a little bit, but it wasn't as technical this time. And so, you know, we hit the next dirt road just a few seconds apart and then came right back together. Um, and then, yeah, the middle section was all like just gravel or that rail trail. And so we just kind of rotated through a pace line. Um, I would say I was doing a lot of the pacing on the front. Um, me, Jordan and I actually 
Tinker would take a couple pulls, and then I was on asleep because Scotty and I are on the same team. Mm-hmm. I just figured he was going to be the better option to to win the race, and so I was taking a lot of pulls, just being the road guy too. I could settle in at a good pace and let him kind of sit in. Um. So yeah, so that's kind of how that was going down. But nice. on the on the rail trail, we he would pull through. Everyone would pull through, and we were just kind of rotating because that was a long, flat section of of pavement. Um. And then when did the then, when did the real separations happen? Because I know um, there was a minute or so between uh, Jordan and and Scotty, and and then you and Tinker were real close together. Yeah. So, so towards the end and, you know, um, I was actually a lot of the times these, these climbs that were on the gravel, I was pushing the pace on these, or there was a couple seasonal roads that, I, and I was pushing the pace up the climbs. Just, I, I had this new fitness and I lost a bunch of weight this year. So I was just testing out sure. the, the climbing legs and, and they were there. And I was even actually attacking the group on some of the climbs over the top. And, you know, get a little bit of separation, but I was just, you know, testing the waters to see how people felt. And, um, and then when I started to do that, I think things started to get more kind of chippy and spicy. There was, yeah. So there was this, uh, there was this one climb second to last climb and it was, uh, I'd have to look it's on the segment. It's the Valley Springs climb. So it ended up being, I think five, five minute climb and, the, the average grade had to have been 7%. So it was a big one. And I think Jordan knew it was coming because he even said, oh, this climb sucks, like right before we got to it. Oh. <laughs> um, and I was just like, all right, I mean, all the rest of the climbs have kind of sucked too, but let's see what <laughs> let, let's see what it is. And so he attacks. And then so Scotty goes with him. And I'm like, well, I, I got to go. So I go with him. And Tinker doesn't even flinch. And I'm like, all right, this is it. It's the three of us Michigan guys tinker doesn't even move and so we're going and then you come around this corner and it goes straight up and jordan attacks again fully committed out of his saddle and i'm just like oh this i don't think i can do this out of my saddle and so i just let him kind of go and scotty tries to go after him but all three of us separate and um I just keep looking back and here comes tinker just <laughs> just going along and it eventually catches me and then the two of us then catch Scotty. Um, so on this five-minute climb, just to kind of give you an idea, Jordan was 30 seconds ahead of me, and Scotty was 15 seconds ahead of me for, like, the segment. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the separation. But then Jordan was gone after that. Um, so we, we chased Scotty down. On the last climb, we caught him, Tinker and I, and then we could see Jordan up ahead. Um, so between that second to last, that big one, that 30 seconds, and then the last climb, he got another 30 seconds. And so that's, that's where he got his minute just on those two. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And then, so then the three of us were back together and, and then that's where it came back into the park. Um, oh, actually we went through some single track and we went through some really cool Creek crossings that you had no idea how deep they were, (laughs) but we, you know, you're in, you're in this group and it's just like, you can't let them go. So you just, you're sending it and just hoping for the best. And so we all got through that soaking wet onto this road. And then the road was the same road we left on, but I didn't know that I'm just super disoriented at this point at, at four hours. And, and then you see the Mohican park 
that we started in. And then we're all like, is this, is this it? And it takes you up one more kind of really steep climb. Um, and Tinker attacks on the climb and I go with him and Scotty didn't, he didn't respond at all. So it's like, okay, maybe is Scotty done. And, and then, so Tinker and I are going up and then I attacked Tinker, um, knowing where then I was and I got some separation there and I was like, Oh, I got it in the bag. This is going to be And at the, at the time I thought it was second. Cause we didn't know that there was this guy that soloed from 20 minutes behind us, which, um, what? Alexi Vermeulen and Sean Kickbush verified that he is a super strong rider. Yeah. What a and, monster, man. I mean, that's insane. Uh, I don't know how you put 13 minutes on the group that we were in, but I mean, kudos to him. So anyways, I'm thinking I'm second place in the bag. Yeah. And there's one more sign that's supposed to turn you into single track. And I just, I blew right by it. Oh no. And I, I did. I didn't see the turn. And then Tinker kind of followed me and Scotty hit it. So Scotty went from being in his position to then being in the lead. And it was this downhill single track that um, he just, he sent it through that. And then you come out onto this road and then it basically goes into the finish. And so he was like three seconds ahead of us. And then Tinker went into it before me. And so then I just stayed on his wheel and then I just came around him in the, the finish and I crossed the line before him, but the chip timing gave it to him. I saw that. And they went, they, yeah, they went, they, they, they went by chip timing and I didn't, I didn't even bother like, Hey, Tinker, because it was a difference in money, but I didn't, it, I don't do it for the money. And yeah. so I wasn't going to go up to Tinker and be like, Hey, do you mind saying something? You know, I crossed the line before you, like, it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> I was just happy to be there racing. So, I mean, um, it, it was still, uh, you still got to say that you out sprinted Tinker at the end of the, at the end of the whole thing. And you have, uh, yeah, you have, you I have, have photo, photo evidence. evidence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was more fun just to ride with that guy. And I'm for sure. a 59 year old, he, man he's strong to see him on the climbs and i think he was hurting a little bit but i mean he's just so strong because um where i was i was sitting and going uphill he was usually out of the saddle so some of the times you i don't i don't know if that's his style or if that's just like this is the only way i can hang on yeah or so i wasn't quite sure there but yeah what an experience to ride for four hours with that guy and Man, he um, is he is everywhere. I mean, especially it just seems like whether he's in, uh, you know, doing all these races in Michigan or in the Midwest, or he's just. He, I mean, yeah, you can't get away from him almost. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's he's I, he's incredible. Um, very very cool. I think it was super exciting to see that you guys were going down there for the race, but then to see the three of you finish so high um, in the top five. I mean, Michigan represented and as that is fantastic. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, kudos to you and to your race. And then of course to Scotty and, and Jordan as well. Yeah, it was, they, they all did great and just a good group of guys to ride with. And, um, not a, honestly, not a lot of conversation going on during it. We were in, we were all in race mode for sure. Nice. Um, but just like, as far as the aid stations and kind of the, the gentleman's kind of agreement rider etiquette, just some of the best guys to like, you know, not blow right out of there. Like, Hey, he's right there. Let's just wait for him. Or, you know, if we, we needed a, a mid race bathroom break, everyone was cool about it. Like to stop and, and do that quick. So, 
um, yeah, I couldn't have asked for a better group of guys to, to ride with. Well, very cool, Alex. Thank you. Appreciate this. And, uh, it's kind of, uh, unexpected to have a race to talk about and to, uh, be able to talk to, uh, Michiganders that, uh, that experienced it. So awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you, Alex, for coming on the Dirty Chain and uh, telling us about your experience at Mohican. Trevor, how's your week been in the mid-pack? Well, we've been uh, hearing more about the uh, Michigan front pack <laughs> in terms of uh, Scott and Jordan and Alex. But yeah, here in the mid-pack, it's been, it's been great just getting some real great rides, including rides with you, Sheldon. Yeah. And you're, you've been getting off the trainer. Well, kind of. <laughs> I mean, I you can't pry yourself away. I have to admit that uh, since the last conversation with Holden Camo, that uh, I've still been Zwift racing um, because I've been bit with the Zwift bug and I still enjoy it. So a little bit of both. I will say that to, at this point in the in the year, I see a farmer's tan on you. It's a farmer's burn. It's a cycling. It's a it's a legit cycling tan. No, those lines are clean. <laughs> <laughs> no, this it, go, it goes from a, a bright white to a bright red. <laughs> That's what you uh, want. I mean, I'm, in I'm a not, cycling I'm not much better. <laughs> but um, but yeah, this time of year there are definitely more outdoor rides than there are indoor rides. But I still like the racing aspect of Zwift, and I'll still kind of throw that in once in a while, especially since um, even though some racing has started, um, we haven't really been able i haven't been able to race um or even do some real hard effort group rides those haven't really started yet either so but mostly i've been riding outside sheldon you've been riding outside a little bit too we just got back from a ride actually we uh we rode this afternoon we went out and did a nice uh hot sweltering 40 miles in uh on the gravel i was on my uh one of my single speeds you had just gotten your bike back from the shop how'd it roll it was um, in much better working order. I had, well, you would know better than me because you were at the shop as they were prying the pieces apart. Watching but, water pour out of your <laughs> friends. <laughs> a few weeks ago when we did the um, the Barry 100 uh, 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 recon, there were quite a few water crossings, and I guess the bike took in a lot of that water. You need to practice your like cyclocross shoulder. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a newbie with that. But I think the problem was I tried to actually ride through a lot of the water, and instead of um, actually getting me through the necessary points it just kind of stopped me and the bike just got super waterlogged and the the wheels got oh water was in the wheels it was in everywhere Uh, (laughs) every part chad took off your bike water poured out like they pulled your fork off and out of the head tube water came out so i'm not joking the bike (laughs) felt lighter (laughs) i'm sure it did it was like why do i need carbon now just just pour the water out of my frame (laughs) anyways it is much better 
But uh, I have been riding my mountain bike more. Yeah. But not on mountain bike trails. Because <laughs> kind of like in this area of Michigan, there, there are a few trails that are rideable. But still, we've had so much rain all over that you really don't want to be riding some of the, uh, the single, single track. track. There are some that are dry out better than others. But I haven't been riding single track. What I have been doing is trying to get some long distances on the mountain bike to prepare myself for Crusher or some other race that I might want to ride would you ride that for bike. coast to coast or would you ride your gravel bike so i think coast to coast i feel comfortable riding my gravel bike i don't think the gravel bike has the tire clearance and the comfort level um that i would want for crusher yeah but yeah i, I think i could roll my those uh schwalbe g138s um and i feel pretty comfortable doing that um for coast to coast, nice. But uh, but yeah, Crusher. I I just needed more time on the mountain bike, and I feel very, um, I feel all right about that. The mountain bike, the hardtail, twenty um, niner. It's just an old Cannondale. It's 29er. old, but it's a nice one. You have a nice Cannondale. It is. It's nice. It's nice. But it's you know it's two by. I mean, <laughs> back when they made. Wait, at least what, it's what's not, this two by? Nonsense? At least it's not three by. <laughs> Shut up. I remember that's those what, days. That's what my 26er is. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but uh, yeah, I feel better and better about that being my tool for this crusher. Ev- not even an event. It's an experience, it's a, an adventure. It's, it's an adventure ride. Yeah, it's, it's, it has all sorts of... Um, Do you know when you're going up yet? I think um, we're going to stick with the original date. Okay. And, uh, and then probably you'll see me a month later because that's how long it'll take me to... <laughs> No, but um, in a pile of bear poo, <laughs> <laughs> just pieces of. <laughs> well, we found his bike. <laughs> There's a lefty fork there. Um, no, but I'm excited for it, and just getting some more time on the mountain bike. Uh, I realize, you know what? That's yeah, that is the right tool for the job, and um, um, yeah, it doesn't scare me as much as maybe it used to. I just have to figure out how to carry a bunch of stuff. Um, but I'll figure that all out. Um, the podcast ruiner is home. Oh, Just came romping in. Yep. Oh, podcast. New podcast pet. Um, so, Sheldon, we were just rudely interrupted by the podcast ruiner. The, the podcast dog. The podcast dog. Buckley the, the dog. Um, Who, in our very first episode, yeah. if you listen at the intro, there's a bark. Sometimes it's easy to edit him out, and sometimes it just doesn't work. But... Uh, <laughs> But you just, I don't really understand this. I saw some pictures with it, and you even posted one on our Instagram. Um, you did not check with me. You, I did not get approval of this. But what in the world is this rodent that you are rolling around with? She's a weasel. She's a weasel. <laughs> An adventure I, weasel. But all right, so, so you have this adventure weasel. Um, She's going to events. I'm not, I don't know if I can get behind this. I'm, I'm just, I just don't. <laughs> Every time I think you have, uh, um, I don't know, reached apex weird. Yes, you, you then something else, and hey, I'm gonna get a, a weasel. <laughs> I mean, I could have brought a like adventure cobra. You know what? I just realized um, you just uh, cut your hair into a mohawk, which I, I'm into that. That looks great. But a ferret is kind of like long and skinny. If you put that ferret on your head, <gasps> it kind of looks I could just like, shave my head and just it looks duct like tape a mohawk. <laughs> But she has a backpack. She can go on. Dude, you're going to see. So any of the races that I'm not going to like race per se, 
Like, I'm going to kind of gauge, like, which ones I'm raising. Like, obviously, I'm not taking her to Crusher or Sancho. Okay. But, like, maybe one of the Lowell's might see uh, little Susie out on, on the road. What What is the inspiration behind? Like, I, I get, like, wanting a pet or wanting another pet. And you're an animal lover, so whatever. Like, y- sure. But why have, Why do your two worlds of animals and cycling have to combine and uh, collide with my world of cycling? <laughs> are, are you scared of ferrets? I'm not scared I, of ferrets. I think someone's a little uncomfortable with ferrets. <laughs> it's not that I'm scared. I just want nothing to do with it. <laughs> I'm just mildly terrified. <laughs> so, Sheldon, my hope was for our episode with Katarina Nash... For the first episode that we're back at it, in front of each other, recording in a more normal sense, (laughs) that we would be a little more polished, professional, (laughs) and instead we have... uh, What podcasts have you been listening to? (laughs) I was hoping we would elevate to another level, but instead we have... um, Regressed. Regressed to ferret talk. (laughs) Adventure ferret. (laughs) Oh, goodness. This is a new hashtag. I'm not sure if there is a... Uh, a good or a smooth way to transition to our conversation with Katarina. Just an apology. Yeah, uh, apology from you, not from me. Like Katarina, I apologize that we led you up with ferret talk. <laughs> Anyways, folks, this is not a ferret podcast. This is a cycling podcast, <laughs> and I hope you enjoy our amazing conversation with the incredible Katarina Nash. Good morning. Good morning. How are, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for, uh, for coming on with us. Uh, this is something we've been talking about since November. So. <laughs> no, no it's, it's, uh, it's always good to be part of any podcast, and especially right now. You yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. It's, this is all we've been doing is doing interviews because it's like, Oh, we're stuck at home. What can we do? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Are you doing a lot of these uh, lately? No, no. I uh, the actually first first time on Zoom. Okay. I tried to join some uh, yoga class a few weeks ago, but I think it was just like overloaded. So, <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I haven't done. You know, it's it's funny because I think I get like three people requesting podcasts after i won the trek world cup uh-huh. you know the sa- in the same week and three <laughs> podcasts i'm like come on people i've been around forever and i have to i have to win a bike race to, you know so and nothing <laughs> since, so, uh, obviously like everybody else i'm listening to a lot of pos- podcasts these days and uh yeah so it's it uh, should be fun yeah i'm never the one that like feels like putting all these thoughts and feelings out there. But if people feel like they're interested, like if, if I feel like people are interested, I'm happy to talk. <laughs> well, uh, we know our listenership has requested you a bunch. Um, oh, good. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, how is, how's the quarantine been treating you? It's been pretty good. I can't complain, honestly. I am in a small town called Truckee, California, which is not too far from Lake Tahoe. And uh, it's uh, it's out here in the woods, so it's really easy to stay away from people, yet to get outside and feel like life is normal, you know, because 
early on there's still tons of snow but now the trails are opening up and fire roads so like i can go out and do a nice bike ride and like completely forget what goes on in the world you know yeah. and then you come back to your computer and you're like holy smoke this is still going on so it's uh yeah now on a personal level really like uh not tons has changed uh for me i mean i you know the first few weeks uh, obviously big concern about family in europe and whether i could travel out there and connect with anybody but since then it's you know, we all kind of got used to the, the new normal. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've kind of kept similar lifestyle, uh, just a little bit more involved in my community and helping out a little bit, especially on my street and those kind of things. So Yeah, that's great. So have you, like most people, taken a huge break from training or are you still getting out and staying active just for your own sanity? What? How are you doing there? <laughs> So I, um, yeah, I'm definitely like all year, all year round kind of athlete. You know, I race a ton and I, when I'm not racing, I'm always doing something like there's no, for me, there's no such thing as off season. Um, and I guess for me, off season means like no racing, you know, so that's few weeks throughout the year, but combining mountain biking and cyclocross, it's a pretty heavy year. So I like to stay active, but I do not mind to change it up. Like I don't mind to go cross country skiing for, you know, three weeks in February when I finally can. So with the, really with the halt of the season, uh, right before I was about to get going again, uh, I, Okay, I guess I back up. So I finished <laughs> racing in early February. It was World Championship. And typically, I, you know, I tried to squeeze in like a off-season, some skiing, a uh, little bit of base mile, and maintaining some kind of top-end speed for like Sea Otter, right? Like it comes up pretty quickly, and I've been doing this for a really long time. So really, this, this period's kind of allowing me to go back to base miles and build up to the season whenever it comes so i'm uh yeah i'm doing um kind of what i wouldn't be doing this time of year you know i shifted from the kind of like how do i switch from cross to mountain biking so quickly and uh um you know like get back into the racing while trying to build up uh so now i'm actually taking the time to get base miles, you know, and I, I don't mind having a couple months to, to do that. I think it will really set me up uh, well for the rest of the year. Um, I do feel, you know, I feel I feel for the athletes that were ready to get going, you know, but I, I was not in that place. I was ready to get going because I had to, you know, because mountain biking is what my team is all about. But I, I, I am okay with the little racing break and having the time to to put in the world, putting the work, you know. Before so. all this happened, what was your schedule initially supposed to look like? Uh, it kind of started with Sea Otter, and from then on, it was uh, back to what I've been doing last couple of years with with a couple of new events, really. So, like, a lot of the epic rides, a lot of the stage racing, uh, 
big focus on BC bike race, downhill classic, those sort of events. I was going to jump into Belgian waffle ride. So that oh, was nice. going to be a, <laughs> the new, <laughs> new big, uh, big one. Uh, and then, yeah, kind of the classic just around here, lost and found, downhill classic, that sort of stuff. And as the summer evolves, we always throw in more, m more events as the, you know, as the time goes on. But yeah, big focus on the stage race, mountain biking, epic rides, and a little bit of gravel. Now, uh, with you, you mentioned Belgian waffle ride. Which one were you going to do? The one in California, or all three, or? Uh, one in California. Okay. Yeah, that was the plan. It's like a week after Sea Otter. So my plan was just like get a get a little warm up at Sea Otter and then <laughs> go straight into 100 miles. Uh, well, no, 130 miles, I believe. So, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was the plan. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, cross-country skiing. And I was wondering if we could just back up just a little bit and uh, talk about how you got into racing, not only bikes, but uh, skis as well. Um, First off, uh, Sheldon and I are very much amateurs. We talk to a lot of amateurs, but we've been fortunate to talk to a few pros and a couple national champions now, which you are as well, correct? Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, but we've never talked to an Olympian, which is fantastic. <laughs> oh, I'm very okay. excited about this. Um, but uh, I I know that you uh, used to do some some uh, competing in the Nordic ski um, at Nordic skiing, correct? It's correct. Yeah, that's essentially was my first, well, first outdoor sport. I, I started with gymnastics, uh, with gymnastics at very young age, and then pretty quickly got tired of the indoor environment, which still is the case these days. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I joined a ski club at age maybe five, six, so very young age, okay. and sort of um, started to grow up with that. The nice thing about cross-country skiing and especially like uh, my club uh, back in the day is that in the summer you get to do so much stuff you know like I feel like cycling has shifted into this like you just ride your bike that's all you do uh, you might go to gym or something but it's just so much about the biking well skiing not having not having uh, snow for a big chunk out of the year, you end up doing a lot of other sports. So that's how I got introduced into track and field, obviously running, cycling, uh, variety of different things, you know. So uh, that, uh, yeah, that was kind of my start and I went on on pretty, uh, pretty competitive uh i guess club high school i went to essentially like a ski academy so throughout my high school years it was a it was a big focus on cross-country skiing and uh um, led to national team led to the olympics eventually i kind of gave up on that big dream and uh ended up in the united states on the cross-country skiing scholarship um i thought at that point my career was kind of over because I was heading to school and that was going to be it. <laughs> but I still made it back onto the Olympic team and I race at the um, Salt Lake City Olympics, mainly because our college skiing would take uh, place out there. Every season we would race in Salt Lake or Heber. Uh, for the collegiate racing, so I kind of felt like I, I knew the altitude, I knew the environment, and, and the nice thing about cross-country ski Olympic team is that they need to build a relay team. So they need really four good people 
plus some backup in case somebody gets sick, you know. So as as I dropped through all the ranking, I had no international racing for the individual racing. I knew there was a small chance I could make the Olympic team because I was that fourth person from the Czech Republic that could go really fast in 5K skating. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's how I uh, went back back to the Olympics as a full-time, essentially, college skier. And, um, yeah, ironically, at the same time, everything started to happen with cycling around that time when uh, Luna uh, Luna was putting together, it was the first year they were putting together their team, and I, I, I met the right people at the right time, as I said many, many times. <laughs> and uh, uh, kind of, I didn't start my cycling career at that point because I, I was racing since high school uh, for few different teams in Czech Republic and uh, you know it was always the second sport and never had the the sheer focus and uh, so in 2002 when I was kind of wrapping up my collegiate racing I, I decided to look for a team and I was very happy to get hooked up with Cliff Bar and Luna and uh, and here we are 19 years <laughs> later <laughs> and that that was you started to uh focus on on mountain bike racing correct like kind of the norba series and and all of that correct correct yeah i was definitely a mountain biker i never really did uh prior to these years um i never did much road racing or anything else i purely got into mountain biking mid 90s back in europe um in fact, I did, uh, I did, my first Olympics was the Summer Olympics in Atlanta, <laughs> which a lot of people don't, don't know because I was a skier first, but um, I was good enough in, in those years and did enough racing. Um, and the sport was new, you know, it wasn't as competitive as it might be right now. So I, I, I did go to Atlanta and got a feel for what mountain biking could be. Uh, but I, it wasn't until the 2002, really 2003, that I, I shifted that focus to purely cycling. And another few more years, it was just mountain biking and kind of playing around on the road for training and that kind of stuff. But it wasn't until Georgia Gold joined Luna in 2006 that I tried cyclocross. So it's, it's like, it's been fun career because I keep adding new things to it. And those new things kind of keep me interested and challenged. And, uh, and there's just always something to work on. So it's been great. I mean, you go from uh, stage races, big mountain bike stage races to short, I don't know, uh, 50 minute, 45 minute efforts on a, on a cross cycle cross race. So I don't know how, how long is that effort usually for a cycle cross um, yeah, I think um, the rules, according to the UCI rules, uh, it's like 40 to 50 minutes, and that's that's going up. Okay. Uh, it's going to be around 50 minutes. Obviously, it's very hard to time. Like, you can't say it's going to be 45 right, right, exactly yeah. because uh, the condition change and whatnot. But, yeah, so anywhere from 40 to 50 minutes with, with that being uh, – coming up a little bit as of this year so it's uh yeah it's kind of exciting because we'll finally get a little longer races because when i started like going to europe and racing some of the world cups early <clears throat> 2006 2007 i guess uh, there would be some races as short as 35 minutes you know and it was just like you, you just got going and it was over so <laughs> it's uh it's definitely yeah. nice to see the sport evolving 
So it's pretty obvious by just looking at your career and uh, the different uh, disciplines, different sports even that you have taken part in and raced in that you don't get stuck on one single event or <laughs> one single thing. Like, How do you feel that diversity has really helped your racing career or your, your life as an athlete, this, um, at, as an athlete? I think that diversity definitely kept me in the sport for a lot longer. Um, I have been around for a really long time. So I, I did pick, you know, I did put a huge focus on Olympic discipline, uh, cross country mountain biking. And I have dedicated many, many years to that and had a lot of success. Um, but I hit that point where I was just like, this is not what I want to do. But if there's other stuff that I could do, that would be great. And so I'm really, really thankful for where cycling has kind of gone in last, you know, maybe 10 years with uh, a different events, different, uh, different bikes to ride. Uh, <clears throat> all there is like happening right now is really exciting because I have the Obviously, I have the skill set. I can, I can hammer my cyclocross bike for 45 minutes, but I've done enough years of training that I can do stage race mountain biking. So it's, uh, I don't know, I think, like, personally, for me, it's super exciting that I could prolong my career and do all this other stuff that my, my sponsors um, do care about and that I didn't have to finish that, you know, I didn't have to finish my career at the end of the Olympic race, just be like, oh, well, there's nothing else for me to do, you know. So uh, that's definitely been great. And I guess uh, how that help, how that's helping my life, like, I, I guess, I, I think I just get bored quickly doing the same thing. So. <laughs> it is interesting. It, it's interesting looking at, um, the like, nowadays, we're starting to see athletes expanding their athletic career longer and longer. And the ones that are tend to be the more versatile athletes that aren't just stuck in one type. And one, I think it's it's giving your body a break, but also mentally. I mean, uh, being that you've been in the uh, the racing circle for so long, do you see athletes that you've raced with over the years, the ones that just kind of stuck with one area, do you see them kind of burning out earlier or... Yeah, what have you even, witnessed? Yeah, even ment mentally, burning out mentally or physically, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I those were some of the things that I recognize for myself that I just, you know, I love race, racing my bike, but I didn't love being on the World Cup mountain biking uh, because it's, uh, yeah, when you're preparing for that, you're not going to go do, you know, things like BC bike race because it overlaps with the World Cup. It's It just really limits to what you can do. And the racing is amazing, but it's just not really a lot of it throughout the year, you know, because you're constantly flying back and forth to Europe. And when you have that Olympic dream or World Championship dream, it's like you, you put your focus into it for a few years. And, I mean, that's, that's maybe something that some people, that, that's their only hope you know it's like i just want to have the olympic medal or the world championship medal for me like cycling it's always been like well i just want to be able to keep up with this person or maybe be that person or just challenge myself to new 
thinks, you know, if you asked me a few years ago uh, about, you know, I was heading into Leadville and I was just like, oh my God, this is, this is not going to be good. Like I, I cannot possibly ride a hundred miles. I'm a cyclocross racer at heart, you know? And once I got through that, like, it was like, man, that, that was really hard, but I can do it. And so that was, that was really cool. And so now I go to do lost and, I've done lost and found for three years, last three, four years or something, which is typically around a hundred miles, you know, on the, on the gravel, cross bike, mountain bike, whatever you wish to ride. And like, going into those now I'm like this is gonna be a long day but I know I could do that you know and so it's uh it's kind of pushing that limit really more physically uh, physically and technically and taking myself to uh sort of like a challenging myself and pushing myself to limits that are a little different than just like I want to go from the top 10 on the world cup to the top five or the top three and you know so it's it's a little different little different goals you know because essentially on the world cup it's so at some point it's so limiting because you go and for most part you race the same course over and over you know year after year um and you raise the same people and so it's just like really just the fitness you know how you how you work on the fitness you know and um having having variety of events to compete at uh not only it's nice mentally uh, it's also fun as far as the preparation, you know, because now you're sitting down and trying to figure out, well, how much food do I need to eat for 100 miles? How am I going to hydrate for BC bike race? And what do I need to carry in my camelback to fix everything? In you know, so all these other things that you don't really deal with on the World Cup level, you know, and they... Uh, I don't know. It's kind of empowering to to make it through the some of the longer events without any support and uh, and do that. So yeah, I can't I can't speak for other people because I think we all go into it with different set of goals, and some people will be happy to finish on top of that game. You know, finishing that last World Cup and walking away and be happy uh, for be having had the chance to see all the other stuff out there, whether it's mass participation events like the Iceman, you know, you walk away from that and you're like, there's a whole lot of crazy people riding in this cold, cold <laughs> winter day. <laughs> but at the same time, you're like, they, they get it. They never showed up here to, you know, to win the world championship or anything. They're just proving something to themselves and pushing those personal limits. And I think that's what cycling's all about for me. I just continue to push my personal limits. And when that desire, uh, when that fire ends, then it's just going to be time to do something, something different. But for now, it's, it's, it's really what I enjoy. So we'll get, we'll get back to Iceman in a second, but, um, I wanted to ask, it, it's pretty obvious that you've been, not only just an athlete and uh, concerned with working on fitness and all this stuff from a very young age, but you've been a competitor and you've been competing from, from a very, from almost, almost, I would say the majority of your entire life. And that, uh, do you, that worldview as a competitor, as a racer, does that kind of influence the rest of your life? Does it, are, <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> it does. It does. And I, I laugh because I am, uh, 
No, I like, you know, if we meet up for whatever, whether it's a bike ride or beer or whatever, like you would probably not know that I'm this world-class athlete. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, I see people like racing around you in the car on the freeway. And I'm just like, I'm just like so removed from any of that, like proving to the rest of the world that like, uh, I need to compete, but, uh, you know, you put me at the start line of a race. <laughs> like, I don't like to put it in perspective. Like I am still kind of new to Strava. Like I could care less about chasing Strava segments, <laughs> right. Or any of that. And like, I, you know, I might have the best results in my community. Well, like there's people that are, you know, a lot faster on this segment or that segment and you know, <laughs> and, um, uh, so yeah, in life I'm pretty pretty chill, pretty mellow. I don't you know don't feel like I'm very competitive person. But uh, yeah, you put me on the start line and I, I turn into a different <laughs> different beast. You know, <laughs> like I've had younger people, like my teammates. You know, my my young teammates on the Cliff Pro team come up to me after a while. They got to know me and they're like, "Man, you have this like at the races. You had, you just have this like." look this intimidating look or something about you that i'm completely unaware uh, <laughs> but my surrounding just tells me and uh and once they get to know me they're like you're not anything like it so i think i do have like after all these years like i i am definitely focused and i want to prepare well and i want to kind of be in the moment when i'm at the race but uh Apart from that, I, I think I'm pretty fun to be around, but that's not up to me to judge. <laughs> <laughs> now, you're a bit, I mean, you've raced per, essentially the entire world. How are you seeing, because we're, we're just here in Michigan, we haven't really uh, done much outside of the U.S., but women's cycling in the U.S. versus other places in the world, we're seeing a big change here in Michigan, ex especially with our, we do a lot of gravel, and the gravel series is really making a huge push to be as inclusive as possible, um, having, you know, uh, the winnings are now matched uh, in for uh, the women's field. It's uncapped for uh, the number of entries. Are you seeing that develop in other parts of the world too? Or is that something that we're seeing just locally currently? It is. It's definitely happening all around the world. And uh, I would say it's happening somewhat organically but it's also been an effort a focused effort of whether it's the cycling federations whether it's brands like cliff bar i am not sure if you guys are familiar with the luna ambassador team that was in place in mm -hmm. early years of of our team where um essentially luna created these ambassador team throughout the united states and the idea was like you live in boston you just move in there. You have no idea where to go mountain biking or who to meet up for triathlon practice or any of like that. So it's just this non-competitive clubs. And then we, as the elite riders, got involved. We teach clinics, come to the communities, and just, you know, just just spread the really the lifestyle. Like if people were interested in racing, that's great, but they didn't have to be racers. It was just building a community of women that want to be active but may consider mountain biking a little bit challenging you know getting a flat tire middle of nowhere and being by yourself it's it's intimidating you know and unless you have that community that can either 
guide you through it or just uh, or just have finding a finding a few friends to to ride with it's always always a little bit more fun so i think the effort has been ongoing for many years and as far as gravel i really um <clears throat> kind of just noticing last two years as i started to participate in the, some of the gravel races i really realized like this is a great inclusive environment as you say you know because it really is not technically technically as challenging as mountain biking you don't need all the great greatest equipment uh most of the time all the feed zone and everything is in place so people don't have to figure out well do i need to ride with 10 cliff bars or you know like <laughs> <laughs> three pounds of bananas or what do i do you know like you can head out and even on the whatever 40 60 100 miles there'll be somebody around you and there will be people to help you through it so uh you know the bottom line is like i think women love to ride bikes as much as guys do but i think uh there was a definitely a little bit of the intimidation factor with the equipment and being able to fix things out in the woods <laughs> and uh and once they realize that there are groups of friends that want to do it as well, I think it just kind of builds that confidence and, uh, and you know, everybody's just more likely to head out and, uh, and enjoy it. And once you do, like, I think once you, once you find that comfort level that like, you know, like it's, it's okay to crash just you know whatever it heals <laughs> it's it's okay to get lost every now and then it's okay to get hungry like all those are good things in life to kind of toughen you up and once you go through it a few times you're like well this is not end of the world like okay i got a flat tire uh i don't know how to fix it maybe but i've got all the necessary tools with me and sooner or later there's going to be a dude that's going to come by and help me out and at the end of the day like that's pretty cool too you know yeah. <laughs> so uh i mean you guys you know you guys know you ride bikes like you know like cycling community is a great community and a lot of really neat people and we always you know we're always depending on each other a little bit uh because we do head out away from the cities away from our homes and you know we're we're always ready to help the other cyclists out there and they're always ready to help us out and i think that's a really that's a really nice thing it is as we see uh last few weeks this whole new crop of cyclists out on the road you know like i think uh yeah. <laughs> i think um you yeah, know it's it's kind of our duty to keep sharing some of these uh safety and uh kind of uh, kind of the rules of a of a established cyclist <laughs> so uh Speaking of community, and you've been a part of really a world-class community of cyclists that have competed and raced everywhere, but from that perspective, how important is it to be a part of and support your local cycling community? Well, for me, that's probably a lot more important. I mean, I I love the racers, you know, I, I've created some amazing uh, relationships over the years. I'm also uh, a part of the three, <laughs> three different commissions at the UCI. So it is my job to be involved in the worldwide, 
worldwide cycling community. Right. But but the home community, that's the people you do stuff with, you know. It's not the people you're going to be, you know, messaging over Instagram or tweeting, rep- Applying. like that's really the people that you do stuff i remember going to um heading to atlanta no atlanta hold on uh london <laughs> max that uh london olympics and i i had this neighbor come up to me and she saw an article in the paper that i was going to the olympics and i was like god damn it now she know what i do you know? <laughs> So much more fun to be like that weird person walking dogs and riding bikes on the street. Like, you know, they just thought, oh, there's another Tahoe trust funder that doesn't have to work, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So um, obviously, I'm, you know, I'm I'm known in my community for what I do and stuff like that. And we're we're more um, historically more of a ski community a lot of amazing amazing skiers came out of square valley and all these um all these ski clubs around here so i always enjoy being kind of the outcast and being the cyclist that <laughs> nobody cares but um now with the global warming you know we're turning into a really really big cycling community and obviously with the tour of california coming through the area and all these things happening uh locally um it's uh it's it's pretty easy for people to kind of get to know who I am or what I do. But um, I think the coolest thing for me as far as community is that like, I have so many friends that we just ride bikes with, you know, whether they're a lot older than me or maybe younger or same age or racers or, or not at all. But we have that one thing in common and that's, that's riding bikes. And I have my dog community and, you know, my ski community and all of that. (laughs) So our our local community, our local cycling community, we have a couple big races that uh, all of us from around the state, mostly all of us, take part in and get excited about. And probably the biggest one is Iceman that I know that you uh, have taken part in and even won a couple times. Um, can we rewind a little bit and try to remember this last one 2019 sheldon participated in it i was up there i didn't ride it it was a muddy mess and you (laughs) came through and won it we might be guilty actually of reaching out to you because you won a race (laughs) (laughs) how did you i mean i guess we can start with conditions i mean I feel like the conditions suited you a bit with the with the muddiness. Would that be a an accurate statement? For sure. I mean, uh, I didn't I didn't really mind. I was already full on into my cross season and had a few muddy races under my belt. Uh, I wouldn't say it was great. It was a huge advantage over <laughs> over uh, at that time my teammate ha- Hannah because she's also done a lot of cyclocross over the years and uh, um, so I you know it, it was it was like I I couldn't really use my skill set over her but sure. we definitely were able to distance ourselves from the rest of the field. Um, I let's see. I think it was my third Iceman. <clears throat> Once again, Georgia kind of paved the way. She she started going to Iceman early years and then um, always talk about how amazing it was. And then 
<clears throat> finally one year I I decided to join her and it was like going back to mass participation ski racing obviously I've done the I've done the American Berkebiner I've done the Vassalopet so I was kind of familiar with the uh, with the crowd let's just put it that way you know because I believe the like I don't know the statistics, but probably one third of the participants at the Iceman, they probably jump into one of the ski races in your, you know, in your area and uh, kind of do that crossover. And um, at this point, I would say like the, the stage racing and the gravel wasn't still happening. So that, that kind of that mass participation and the excitement for being out there and cheering for everybody like that that was a really big part of our racing at that point you know like we were kind of doing the <clears throat> the mountain bike world cup which is you know the opposite of inclusive <laughs> <laughs> um so it was just really fun to be out there with all the other people and just kind of shiver around the fire after the race and checking out the scene and drinking beer and like it just i don't know it was just it was just back to that racing that's so so fun to do when you've been doing a lot of the more focused and strict racing that where results are so important and everything about your recovery is so important versus like end of the season kind of still going really hard because there's lots on the line, but then having everybody to enjoy the the kind of the end of the end of the race so yeah i don't know i just i really enjoy going back to iceman and it's always challenging conditions but i think that just it's just part of the game right like the name of it and uh, the time of year and i think you guys would be disappointed if it was nice and sunny so yeah, definitely. <laughs> we just <laughs> we just play along with it i love the mud i thought it was an absolute blast <laughs> I, I enjoyed the course too. Like it was definitely it was different because I, I have done it uh, a couple times before, but it was significantly uh, drier. It might have been colder maybe one year, but it was not this wet and muddy. So yeah, I I can't complain about mud either. I love to ride through it. The the cleanup afterwards. Uh, that's when I'm starting <laughs> to get a little little bit tired of that. <laughs> well, it's cool to hear that from you. That. Uh that's what you take from the race and that's what you enjoy from the race is that uh crowd atmosphere and i know in a different in a different way that's what a lot of the um people like sheldon and i enjoy about it being able to ride and then be a part of the crowd to see the pros come through and cheer them on and i know that they're um young people that really look up to the pros as well. I know this last year there was a, uh, like a kid's ride the day before and they have the slush cup and you had an opportunity to ride with some of the, the younger people. And I know that that meant a lot. We have a, um, some friends that have a daughter that, uh, really loved to ride, um, with the pros and especially um, with you. So that's a very cool aspect of, of our local race and getting, getting to see some of these uh, big names come out and really uh, be role models for the younger generation. Yeah, and I sure. mean, that's um, to me, that's something that's been always very important because as, you know, as our jobs, really our jobs have changed, but 
Uh, the results will always be important, but honestly, like, yeah, it's, it's great to win a big bike race and you cross the finish line and you have all these amazing feelings that you kind of, you know, all the hard work paid off. But then like 15 minutes later, you're like, well, what did I really accomplish? Like everybody else in the field is sad because they didn't win. <laughs> you know? so, so if you, if you can really have a pink like impact on a different level, you know, what might be a bike ride with a bunch of little kids to get them excited about riding their bikes because maybe, you know, the parents signed them up and they had to come, but now they're like, well, this is actually fun, you know, um, or having a few minutes with uh, another racer who has some questions and you can help them to, you know, answer some of the stuff that, you know, that nobody in their community can because maybe maybe they don't have anybody there who's raised the World Cup or the Olympics or something like that, you know. Mm -hmm. So that those those things definitely have made me feel a lot better about being a professional athlete because I think being a professional athlete so many times means kind of a selfish approach to life uh, <laughs> of like the training and you don't have time for a family and all these things, you know, you travel the world and everything is just like, you can't go to friend's birthday party because their kids have cold and you know, you like, you can't, can't get sick now right. three weeks before world championship, you know? So you, you do live life through this kind of, um, uh, sort of strict, strict approach. And so if, uh, if you can step out of it and, uh, sort of see the impact you have outside of the result list, it's, it's, I don't know, it's something that, that, that has really made me feel a little bit more meaningful about being professional athlete. Sure. And you should, because you are making an <laughs> impact. Absolutely. <laughs> Now, do you think you'll be back for Iceman 2020? Yeah, I mean, like, um, you know, we we obviously don't know what's going to happen at this point. It's it's really oh, hard to hard to imagine when um, the world needs to get to a much better place before we can, you know, send five thousand people out on the bike course. And uh, so it will be interesting to watch how the situation will evolve I, i'm hopeful that there will be bike racing again i think it would be great for all the racers it'll be great for all the uh industry obviously but i think uh, for a lot of a uh, lot of people that were just looking forward to that uh you know that nice challenge that nice new bike event that they sign up for and all these things so i'm i'm super hopeful uh, i assume if we do get going a uh, lot of the events that i was supposed to do in the summer uh will be shifted to the fall and uh i think uh yes if we start racing i think my my mouth my season's gonna look a lot different it's probably gonna be a lot more heavily focused on mountain bike events this fall versus the cyclocross in the past so uh yeah i I hope I hope to see you guys out there. <laughs> Definitely. I hope so too. <laughs> I I do have one more question as we kind of uh close up here, but I was I was doing a little research and looking up your profile on the Cliff Bar website and there is there's a <laughs> there's a thing that it has Katarina by the numbers. It says five-time Olympian, seven World Cup cyclocross wins, and seven broken ribs 
in one race. <laughs> and I kind of want to hear that story. <laughs> Can you tell us oh, a story yeah. about breaking seven ribs in one race? Yeah. yeah, it's actually, it's it's my very first year of mountain bike racing. So this is, <laughs> we're going back to the like mid 90s. Uh, and it was my ski club had some sort of exchange with Italian clubs. So we would go um, every summer to train in the Dolomites. Um, and then I'm not sure, uh, you know, this is early 90s, not too long after the communist era. So I'm not sure if we had much to offer to the Italian club other than showing up <laughs> at their community. I can't remember if they they got much out of it other than a whole bunch of us training with them. But anyway, so we would spend maybe a couple of weeks in Italy every summer. And it was the first year I got into mountain biking and the coaches were like, you know, probably sitting around drinking some wine and they said, Oh, there's this mountain bike race. You guys should like, here's a bike and you should go. And so they loan us a bike and it was a mass start with, you know, everybody who was willing to go. And the start was, in in town in some little italian village super hilly and we started down pavement and i you know was in the new bike and uh just young and dumb maybe <laughs> <laughs> just send it send it too fast and i didn't make the corner and it was still on the um on the street and i kind of like flew off my bike and with my back i landed on the sidewalk so as of the sidewalk i i broke all the ribs and I, I i got airlifted to bigger hospital because the ribs can puncture through your heart uh which was end up not being the case i got a helicopter ride but it was really sad because i was like strapped down on the stretcher and i couldn't see the beautiful mountains <laughs> that i would like to see so it all turned out fine like the ribs are painful but you know I don't know if any of you guys break broken ribs before. It they heal really fast. You just yeah. have to be a little bit patient and make sure you don't sneeze or laugh at jokes. So <laughs> I, had two, I, I broke two last season and at a grand fondo, of course. And then uh, yeah, laughing was a terrible idea because a couple of us went out for beers later, and right. <laughs> Trevor was a part of that. And yeah. I was every time they make every you know everyone would start laughing. I would laugh for a split second, and then that, suddenly it wasn't funny anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So you try to eliminate that, but it's also like uh, I mean, now as we're like you know doing this like home gym workouts and stuff like that, maybe we just all should laugh and you know keep up our course. <laughs> well, I think <laughs> if, we can, I, if we can find something to laugh about these. <laughs> I think yeah, that's right. one of the, one of the things that I think a lot of riders are going to take out of this entire situation is because we're not as goal oriented right now. I think it's going to give a lot of us an opportunity to fall back in love with just biking and not, not staring at our computer, looking at these power numbers or, or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Now it's, you can go out and you can just have an enjoyable ride and remember why yeah. you're on the bike to begin yeah. with. I think it'll be hopefully a lot of appreciation for everything we used to have, you know, what the normal life was before. And, uh, Hopefully, hopefully this is a good reset for the society. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think that's, that's great. I mean, I think that's a, this is a good place to kind of, to end it. I mean, um, Sheldon, you have any well, other questions or? No, I hope we get to pick this up back up in November, hopefully. And, yeah, uh, up in Traverse see. City. 
Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I'll see you guys by the fire with some uh, cold beer, I guess. <laughs> that sounds perfect. Ooh, yeah, can... that, that sounds so much better than, than a Zoom meeting. Like, <laughs> all we've done is Zoom meetings lately, and it's like, man, I miss just sitting down with people and talking with them with a beer. And that's, yeah, I, I think that's sure. what I'm missing the most in this entire situation. That's, mm-hmm. uh, it's we're going to really appreciate that a lot more once that sure. beca- becomes yeah. a normality again. Yeah. I definitely catch myself talking to complete strangers <laughs> on the screen for a lot longer than what used to be appropriate amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> Katarina, thank you so much for your time and talking with us and uh, being a source of motivation for so many people. Um, this is very cool and sharing your your story with all of us. We appreciate it. Well, thank you guys for having me and uh, happy riding and uh, just, yeah, be safe out there in Michigan. All right. Thank you, you very much, Thanks. Katerina. Thanks. Bye. 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 <laughs> the Dirty Chain Podcast is a Michigan Midpack Media production in partnership with KOM Cycling, the source for your bike accessories and necessities. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Dirty Chain Podcast. Email dirtychainpodcast at gmail.com. Call our hotline at 616-522-2641. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you use to listen. Audio editing and original music by Trevor Gibney. Sheldon Little handles the social media, graphic design, and of course, bad decisions. Thank you to Alex Tanelshoff for sharing your experience of the Mohican 100 with us. And a huge thank you to Katarina Nash for sitting down and talking with us for this episode. And as always, keep your chain clean, but get your chain dirty. We will see you in the mid-pack. <laughs>